Hello, I'm Will. Welcome to Research Pod. Restrictions in 1906 saw it classified as a poison, prohibition rolled out fully through the 1920s, and the Tax Act of 1937 formalised regulations across the US. A century on from those first restrictions, cannabis and its derivatives have seen a whirlwind of change from criminalisation to commercialisation in a single decade. This comes off the back of generations of work, research and advocacy for the potential medical advances and social justice that could come about through its approval and study. These are early days, though. There is much to be done to understand which cannabis-derived molecules work best, and for whom. Pure Green Pharmaceuticals, headed by Steve Goldner, is a cannabis drug company at the forefront of research into the therapeutic qualities of cannabis. We're talking today about Steve's history in drug research and advocacy, the changing landscape of cannabis legality and usage, as well as the ongoing clinical trials that aim to uncover the potential of cannabis-derived medicines for patients worldwide. And joining me is Pure Green Pharmaceutical CEO, Steve Goldner. Steve, hello. Hi. How are you doing, Will? I'm very well. It's a rainy day here in England, but aren't they all? <laughs> well, we are having another snowy blizzard here in Michigan, so enjoy the rain. It's a good deal warmer than what we have. <laughs> well, now we've got the traditional English formalities of talking about the weather out of the way. If I could ask for a little bit of a background on yourself some of your personal experience and some of your motivations in getting involved in medical cannabis research. Well, thank you very much, Will. I'll try to be quick about it, but uh, it may take a few minutes to get through all of it. I started as a chemist, a forensic toxicologist at the New York City Medical Examiner's Office a long time ago, 1970. And at the time, that was the leading medical examiner's office in addition to doing routine toxicology on 18,000 autopsies over those years, I participated in research and first we developed the chromatographic methods to detect recreational drugs like LSD, marijuana, cocaine, amphetamines, and that became an industry called urine screening. So that got me involved in doing scientific publications as well as having the inventor spirit the next year, I and my research director developed a drug called methadone, the liquid oral form of it that's widely used in the United States and spread elsewhere. We came up with this idea that a drug could be used to get people off of drugs, and methadone worked pretty nicely over all these 50 years or so. It's become a staple worldwide and saved about 20 million lives. A few years later, after finishing running that drug company, a large drug company bought us out, allowed me to go to law school, and I became an attorney, getting drugs and medical devices approved for them. And I've continued in that role for almost 45 years now. Uh, my consulting company has gotten 250 medical devices cleared at FDA and around the world, and a couple dozen drugs. I became involved in cannabis while attending the United Nations meeting in 2016 to give advice or guidance on redirecting the war on drugs to rehabilitation instead of incarceration. And as the FDA advisor to NIH for many years, I encouraged the research be done on cannabinoid drugs. 
making that practical, I opened first Pure Green, a Michigan medical marijuana company, and we obtained the first license within the state of Michigan. We've applied for patents, and we've obtained one and seven more on the way. And now we've opened Pure Green Pharmaceuticals to utilize THC and CBD to take our inventive ideas throughout the United States and across the world. I hope that gives somewhat of a background. That sounds like a lot of experience squeezed down into three minutes. Congratulations on managing that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Now, to pick up on some of the recent efforts that you've mentioned there, using THC and CBD for therapeutic effects, this is looking at cannabis-derived molecules for therapy rather than the entirety of the plant. So that's correct. There are several different thoughts here. Some people would prefer to use what's called whole plant extract in order to create cannabis-type drugs. My experience in pharmaceuticals over these decades has shown me that at first, many, many drugs come from a discovery in plants or trees. But as the research moves forward, scientists identify which molecules actually sort of get the job done and which are tag-along or interfering substances. And so we've accomplished that by reviewing all of the medical literature and we've run clinical trials and done other analyses so that we know exactly how much THC or CBD as well as the terpenes that go into the products should be mixed together and given to people at particular dosage levels for very specific ailments. And that's really important because it's allowed us to develop a dosage form that is a tablet that's reliable and consistent and repeatable so that people can look at the labels, physicians can help to prescribe these products, and people will get precisely the effects that they want without guessing as to what the strain of the plant might be. Mm -hmm. The legitimacy of having a tablet with the FDA approval stamp on it compared to a guy on the street corner who's got something good, honest, I can see how that is going to lend itself to not just supporting the development for regulatory and medical research, but also the confidence in patients who might not have maybe as much experience in medical marijuana from the end user point of view. Well, that's exactly it. After all, there are millions of people around the world who have used cannabis actually for centuries. But our idea is that there is true medicine in the molecules that come from this remarkable plant. And there are hundreds of millions more than that who suffer from anxiety, pain, sleeplessness, and other significant diseases And they're not going to know how to utilize cannabis extract or a plant material to be able to relieve those syndromes and symptoms. So we really want to make it easy by demonstrating scientifically and medically, getting proof within the World Health Organizations, and then taking that directly to people 
much as any other drug company might do. And with all of the history, I guess, of medical marijuana globally, like you've identified over centuries, there is still the stigma of its use in its raw form and lots of cultural sensitivity around the use of any psychoactive substances whatsoever. Do you find that that is a challenge to its advocacy when you're speaking at the UN or working with the NIH, if there's any contradictory biases that people have towards cannabis? Well, that's a very interesting and perceptive question. Several years ago, there was stigma against it in the medical and scientific community. That is very rapidly disappearing simply because more and more science is coming out, nearly all of it quite positive and quite profound. And that has intrigued the serious scientists. However, stigma about the use of it and cultural difficulties with it continue generally in society and they're demonstrated in sort of political lack of will to move forward and allow the research to be done. At this point, there are thousands of true medical research scientists who would love to be able to do the work to prove or disprove the truths about cannabinoid molecules, but they are not allowed to do it because they work in universities where there is still difficulty being able to do this work. So the only research that's effectively going on now is essentially private funded, like the work that we've been able to do. I may have to cut this from the final broadcast, but I can definitely speak to the British university experience that there was definitely some amateur research into the psychoactive effects of cannabis going on. Well, I can really address that because we're here in Michigan and a major university, University of Michigan, is uh, just a few miles down the road. Uh, my wife works there in the medical school. And certainly it's been a site where many students use cannabis. However, starting three years ago, real clinical trials began to be run in a very formal, well-controlled manner. And it took a great deal of courage by the university researchers, as well as administrators, to be able to do this kind of work. But it was of sufficient caliber to be published in international medical journals. So I think the amateurism of the past is very, very quickly going away. And uh, people will be able to see that there really is value in the medicine available. Has the domestic use of cannabis been legalized in Michigan? I know it has in some other states like Colorado and I believe Nevada have legalized personal use. And in those states where that's happening, do you see there being more of that accelerated shift towards academic and business pursuit rather than just the, how should I say, the hobbyist? So this is a multifactorial question, and I'm glad you're giving me the opportunity to address it. Currently here in the United States, cannabis has been legalized one way or another in 37 of the 50 states of the U.S., 
And to the country just north of us, Canada, it's completely legal all across that country, essentially on a federal level in every one of the provinces. Within the U.S. states, it is currently in Michigan allowed both as medical cannabis as well as what's called adult use or recreational cannabis, where any person over the age of 21 can walk into a store and buy it by just showing proof of age. What's come from this remarkable, remarkable state-by-state experiment in the United States has truly shifted the impression of this product, this cannabis, from the sense that it is, I don't know what to call it, the work of the devil or an on-ramp for drugs to where people now have done true epidemiologic studies to see that drug use with other drugs is actually dropped in state by state where cannabis has been legalized, that traffic accidents have dropped, alcoholism is dropping, the use of alcohol is decreasing. I'm not encouraging people to use cannabis and drive, but they've discovered that someone will drive much slower with much greater care than if they had drunk alcohol where they lose inhibitions. So this still needs to be examined more, but what's come about is that this legalization of three-fifths of the USA has demonstrated to people that the product can be used safely and effectively, and that has fostered the development of more and more of the serious research, as well as allowed the businesses to develop, which previously could not get insurance or banking or hire employees and pay them appropriately. Now, all of that can be handled just like any other business. So this social experiment has actually borne tremendous fruit in a couple of short years. The business case is certainly interesting. We've seen an explosion in CBD shops popping up across Bristol, where I live, with the shifting legal attitudes towards it. And that does, I suppose, make the case for, like you've mentioned earlier, the private research as a funding stream for research, as a driver behind it. Do you see anything coming from the community well-being aspect as well, that if there are people experiencing anxiety, PTSD, some of the other conditions that you've mentioned, that there is a drive from the ground up to have access to these materials or to have access to the research and participate in it as well, rather than just from the top down? Well, yes, certainly, and I can give a a very good example of it. You mentioned that CBD shops are popping up everywhere. It was only a year ago that CBD was considered by the U.S. Drug Enforcement, DEA, to be a controlled substance, even though it clearly had no ability to impair people's behavior. It was listed that way simply because it could be extracted from the cannabis plant that a particular strain is called hemp. But now that that hemp is legal in the U.S., DEA dropped its prohibition against CBD literally overnight. And now you see this popping up everywhere. 
A year ago, year and a half ago, no one was talking about CBD. The only interest in cannabis was this molecule THC that could be used to get people stoned. So I know that there are a dozen more THC type compounds and CBD type compounds, as well as hundreds of terpenes that are going to give a continual flow of scientific and medical value to people. As to your question about people from the sort of ground up being able to essentially self-dose or self-medicate, we ran an interesting study of people who go into cannabis stores. And while many think popularly people are going there to just buy pot in order to get stoned, it's not true. It's that 70% or more of the people going into cannabis stores are there to get something to relieve pain or anxiety or sleeplessness or a combination of all three. And they are simply searching for a product that will do that effectively for them. Yes, there's certainly, I call it an entertainment value to cannabis, just as there is an entertainment value to alcohol for those who just want to drink it or for cannabis who people who want to smoke it and simply have a recreational event out of it. But two thirds of it is for medical use and it's so safe people are able to dose themselves. Just in closing off on this, I can give you an example from There's a bar, an alcoholic bar that had been in a town nearby, a very rough area for decades. The police had constant difficulties with patrons coming out of the bar or fights in it. Generally, there was at least one death a year. That bar stopped serving alcohol four years ago and now only allows people to take cannabis while they are on the premises. It provides music for dancing and some simple food to eat. And since that has happened, the police were astounded that there have been no altercations at the bar. There's no drunk drivers leaving and causing accidents. And their only problem is that they have to shoot people out and make sure that there are plenty of taxi cabs around for them to be driven home safely in. I think that's a remarkable social sea change in a very small time. That sounds like quite the upheaval and, if anything, a community service. Yes, community service, what you might call knock-on effects that are not always obvious during innovation. When I worked on developing that drug methadone all those many years ago, People were worried that it would create more drug addicts rather than less. And of course, one didn't know until you try it and see what happens. Well, it turned out, for example, that in New York City, where we started, there were 200,000 heroin addicts at the time, and 10% of them went on to methadone. That's 20,000 people in just a couple of years. So the knock-on effects from it were that every night, 20,000 people who were taking methadone did not have to rob 
someone or mug them in order to get money for heroin. And so that eliminated literally 20,000 terrible altercations. That meant that the city could reduce several thousand policemen and reassign them, that hospitals had thousands of fewer visits to the emergency room. It actually made the emergency rooms come close to profitable for a change, that night courts could be closed down, and it went on and on like that. So we expect something similar will happen in society as cannabis and particularly our drugs of pure THC or CBD are allowed to flower throughout society and help people with their disease conditions. I know there are initiatives at work to get people caught up on the decriminalization, I suppose, that there are lots of people in jail at the moment for possession, for distribution of marijuana, but getting those people out of jail. I suppose it's a much bigger question of restorative justice for these people now that the world is changing around them. Yes, and not to put too fine a point on it, but state by state, this idea of social equity is taking hold as people realize that there are, certainly in America and elsewhere, in America there are over 100,000 people in prisons for doing precisely what is being done every day now, completely legal. And people ask, well, how can that possibly be fair or right? And so in one state after another, governments are looking at how to ameliorate that or pardon people uh, from those sorts of crimes. Plus, this is a burgeoning industry and it needs to have people operating within it who actually understand how to grow these plants, how to harvest them, how to trim them, etc. It's not easy to do. So there is a real sense of social equity I think that that will continue and is, uh, frankly, my personal sense is it is completely justified. There is a twist of irony to come out of jail and go to work doing exactly the thing that put you in jail. There certainly is. And the interesting thing is this week is the 100th anniversary of the beginning of alcohol prohibition in the United States something that seemed like a good idea to not let people drink alcohol turned out to simply allow huge criminal enterprises to flourish and brought untold troubles within cities. It certainly has been the cause of a number of colorful movies, but it's wonderful that at this 100th anniversary of that alcohol prohibition beginning, that the cannabis prohibition is beginning to end. This arc of history with cannabis as a medication, it's not exactly what people colloquial call free the weed, but this is a wonderful medication that could have been available to people for the last 70, 80 years, but for the prohibition on doing any research that had any value at all 
because the plant couldn't be grown or harvested and therefore research couldn't get done. Well, as much as the societal changes around the legalization and access to medical cannabis and its derivatives have changed in the last couple of years, the demand for them, as well as always being there from the illicit and trafficked side when it was a controlled substance, do you see that being something that has also changed, that there is now more, I guess, public awareness or acknowledgement of mental health conditions, of stress, anxiety, of not being able to sleep or suffering with post-traumatic stress disorders that are treatable rather than possibly being something that would drive people to seek what was a controlled substance and maybe then lead them on to harder and harder substances if they are already going down the path of criminal access. If someone comes back with the need for a cure that they aren't getting through available medical means that they go to the illicit ones instead. We do see exactly that. The fascinating part for us is now that there are key metrics and ways to measure utilization of these products, the fastest growing segment of users of cannabis in the United States are people over the age of 55. And they report that 85 to 90% of their use is for common ailment or symptom decrease. That is the aches and pains or the sleeplessness that an older person generally experiences to a greater extent than when they're younger, that the anxiety that they often feel, these are anxiety-producing times that we live in, that is the major impetus for increased use of the products. And, of course, now that it's legal, these people, and I'm certainly one of them at the ripe young age of 72, of being able to purchase them, possess them without fear of being arrested or the social stigma that goes along with it, that by itself is very freeing. People are discovering that they can use these molecules our products happen to be water-soluble tablets, so it's very, very easy to take them. You don't have to smoke, you don't have to vape, and that people are able to use these on a regular basis, self-medicating, and that they're discovering that their regular prescription medications, they can reduce many of those, of course, speaking with their doctors as they do that. That's also the better part of the educational process now, is that physicians finally are beginning to be able to learn about the science behind this, science which was never taught to them in medical school. So that is a large aspect of our business and our research efforts, is to do educational outreach to professional uh, physicians and caregivers, as well as laypersons. And circling back to business, as you mentioned there, I understand that you were recently speaking at the New York Stock Exchange? Yes, I was. One of the citadels of capitalism known throughout the world. It was my first time actually being interviewed live for a business show 
from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I've spoken at the UN and National Institutes of Health and in multiple legal conferences. But this was a remarkable event. And I think it came about largely because so many people are interested to know more about the business. And we at Pure Green Pharmaceuticals, uh, of course, have to perform as a business and be able to demonstrate a return on investment to our investors. So it was a, a terrific opportunity. So thank you for thank you for that shout out. It's it was fun. It was just plain old fun. I never in my life thought I would actually be in the stock exchange being interviewed for a business show. But I'm looking forward to more of these breakthrough opportunities as we push our, frankly, it's a medical agenda that we are pushing. It's our medical heart, our scientific heart is what brought us to work on this. Well, if there's any bigger sign that the war on drugs, not quite over, but we're declaring peace on drugs, if there's a bigger sign to that than speaking about it in the New York Stock Exchange, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> so I should describe to you the arc of my personal interest in this, because that may be useful for young people, or any person actually, to realize that you can pursue a life's dream. I began working on the development of liquid methadone because friends of mine went to war in Vietnam as soldiers, and some of them returned. These were my buddies, and I was 22 years old. I needed to help my friends, some of whom became heroin addicts. And my efforts to develop a drug to get them off of heroin addiction is what created methadone. A couple years later, I met a young man who had gone to war and not a heroin addict, but he had a condition we now call PTSD, which is painful and extreme anxiety. It ruined his entire life. He was a a military hero by having saved his platoon and another, but he was so messed up from the war that he couldn't even remember what he had done. He couldn't, like he could see medals, but he didn't, he didn't understand what he had personally done. We became friends throughout all our lives. I used to stay with him third shift to care for him. And I noticed when he got pills from the Veterans Administration, or drank in order to self-medicate, he was violent and difficult to be around. But if he got pot and smoked it, he was not violent, he was easy to be around, and that began to teach me that there was something in cannabis that would work for his symptoms. Well, here we are 45 years later, my friend John made me vow that I would develop a drug for PTSD to relieve him and the millions of other people of this terrible scourge of anxiety and pain. 
And frankly, we have done exactly that using these cannabis molecules. And we are going to take these through the Food and Drug Administration, through the European health authorities, and use this to relieve the pain and suffering of people, first responders, ambulance drivers, plus people who've experienced anxiety through terrible situations. And so I offer this as just an example to anyone listening. You can do something similar just by making repeated, determined efforts and applying yourself and never giving up. That's the heart and the inspiration behind pure green pharmaceuticals. Well, that's an incredibly just mission to take on, and it gives me great pleasure to say mission accomplished, I suppose. Well, thank you. Not quite, but we, we are in the process, and we are looking forward to bringing our products to the United Kingdom and all across Europe and, frankly, every other every other continent where there are people, plus pets. Um, let's not forget that animals also suffer pain and anxiety. And we are about to provide the Food and Drug Administration in the U.S. with documents to show that we can relieve pain and anxiety in companion animals. And there's an aspect of social justice to that, too. We want our pets to be happy to be able to live here on this planet with us. I suppose now is a good time to ask if there are any ongoing trials, if people wanted to either get in touch from an academic perspective to say, join in as a participating centre, or if there was any ongoing recruitment for trials that they wanted to volunteer themselves for, they might be in contact that way. We just finished a what's called phase two clinical trial where you uh, test for safety and efficacy in diabetic neuropathy. This is a worldwide condition of pain with people who have diabetes, and we are about to enroll additional patients to take this through the FDA for diabetic neuropathy relief, for osteoarthritis, which is also people suffering from terrible pain, sleeplessness, and anxiety. We are running clinical trials in that. Also, for women who have difficult or painful menstrual cycles, we have formulations that are a tremendous relief in that way, as well as, of course, the PTSD. All of these actually are directed towards one of our core concepts, which is that we want to reduce opioid dependency. So we went to FDA and told them we wanted to reduce opioid dependency. And it was fascinating that this wonderful government agency in the U.S. that values true medical science and data over all else suggested a pathway to the marketplace that we prove pain relief in osteoarthritis and also in diabetes so that people who have those conditions could utilize our products and never have to utilize opioids. And that has given us a clear regulatory path to approval, as well as running these clinical trials. Well, we look forward to the ongoing recruitment for those trials and the data when it comes out. 
is there anything else on the horizon or in the future for Pure Green Pharmaceuticals that you see as being a, a milestone to look forward to? I suppose the greatest milestone will be our successful fundraising so that we can advance our clinical trials at a much faster rate than we've been able to do so far. And we are about to publish the results from two of our clinical trials. So we look forward to that milestone of seeing our results in international medical journals so that other scientists can comment and join with us. Also a major New York teaching hospital and medical center is going to use our CBD tablets to try and get people off of methadone and other addictive substances. That will just be fascinating to see. So there are so many things happening here and we certainly need the support and we hope that we will get that from the medical community as well as from the general populace. And we encourage anyone in government affairs also to reach out to us because we have lots of data that will help you understand how these products can be used safely and effectively to help all the people within your jurisdictions. What website or social media handle would be the best way for people to stay up to date with these developments? Oh, that's a great question. We have just put up our website. It's pgpharma.co, P-H-A-R-M-A dot C-O for company. And if there's anyone who would like to email directly to me, I'm S. Goldner, S-G-O-L-D-N-E-R at pgpharma.co and I'll be happy to respond directly to you. Well then, Steve, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Will.